It's been a blessing to have been here so far already. The opening message and open sharing time, children's lesson, and even the comments made for the song leader before I got up. We were in West Virginia uh, for a family trip uh, last week, and there's some really nice lookouts on top of cliffs that have these walkways, and then they have these platforms with the fence around it and room to go around the platform out to the rocks where you really want to go. <laughs> so uh, we did some of that. So uh, we were talked to this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Um, don't have a Father's Day message. If you want, the last Father's Day message that was given here at Oasis, uh, my reckoning anyhow, was in January. Timothy Hoover was here. He gave a Father's Day message. If you want, if you need one today, I guess you can go back and listen to that. But, um, I'll continue on with, with, um, the Peter, first Peter message is here. I had one statement that I thought might actually go with something like that. Uh, unity of heart is a cure for being a cookie cutter. When we talk about fences, sometimes we actually get the idea of unity and decide to all cookie cutter. Unity of heart is a cure Instead of being cookie cutter, I guess you could say trust is easy when values are similar. When our values are similar and when we understand, (laughs) when we have a similar understanding of God and what he values and our values are similar to that, then trust is much easier. And, of course, that is always a process. You never arrive at perfection. It's a process. It's a, it's a, um, I can't think of the word, but it's, it's a journey <laughs> as a congregation. So why don't you turn to First Peter in chapter 2. We'll read, read the section. I had said last time that we're actually going to be Talking about the, um, uh, let me see if I, where we're going to talk about the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the peculiar people, I had indicated, but I actually never did get that far then, because that's pretty many verses up ahead. So we will actually be starting at verse 2 this morning. I'll read verse 1 in context there, and we'll be going to verse 8 this morning. So let's read this. Follow along. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed in need of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient where also whereunto also they were appointed. 
Chapter 1 was about hope and holiness and harmony. And the first verse of chapter 2 goes with uh, with chapter 1 in that way. And uh, chapter the first verse in chapter 2 is the conclusion, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently <laughs> by these actions there. But the verse that we're looking at first is, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. As newborn babes. This is the third time Peter is talking about being born again in this, so far in this little letter here. In, in, um, in verse 3 of chapter 1, he talks about being begotten again. And in verse 23, he talks about being born again of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. And now we are presented as newborn babes. So the concept of being born again is a, really is much more than in John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. It's throughout Scripture. The disciples once asked Jesus, said, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And um, they say, well, an honest question. And the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. It's an honest question. Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But Jesus understood not just the question. He understood where the question was coming from. He responded by basically giving them an ultimatum. You know that. That ultimatum he gives. He said, in Matthew, this is 18.3, in the first before, he said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He said, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, except, talking to his disciples who asked the question, except Ye be converted, except ye turn, except there's some kind of a change happens. Um, see, the disciples wanted power and influence. They were proud, they were a bickering, and they were competitive. And Jesus was up front. He said, except ye become Unless something happens to you, not only will you not be the greatest, you won't be there. That's an ultimatum. (laughs) Except ye be converted, you will not be there. Because your idea of greatness is completely wrong. Judas wanted money. Judas was one of the disciples. And he got it. He got 30 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know. I don't think that was a huge amount of money. But maybe if you were following Jesus and you didn't have a regular job, maybe 30 pieces of silver was pretty significant for him. But he got the money. Likely, I don't know Judas's heart, but likely he did not know about his covetous heart. You think he was aware of it? I don't know. But at some point, what he had done, selling the Lord Jesus for money, dawned on him. And at some point, the lights came on, and he saw what he had done, and all of a sudden, that money meant nothing to him. All of a sudden, he had no covetous desires in his heart for money. It was gone. And when he tried to give it back, they wouldn't take it. You know what? You know what's the hardest thing for a covetous person to do? Give money away. Give stuff away. 
that goes against the grain. This 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 man had a change of heart. Well, in one way he did. And when they wouldn't take it, he just threw it down. Peter actually had a similar experience at the same time. And, uh, you know, Peter thought he was strong. He said, when they were talking about the cross, and then he said, uh, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll go with you to the cross. I'll, I'll die with you. Which I don't think he actually thought he would, but he, he was convinced. I'll go to Jesus to the death. Jesus then told him what his heart was really like, and he would not accept it. Then after he denied the Lord Jesus, he all of a sudden the lights came on for Peter. And he saw himself the way he really was. A weak, um, defeated, powerless man. That's who he was. But he hadn't seen himself that way. But all his boasting and all his pride it was gone. And he wept and wept bitterly. Did you ever experience this? Is the question. Where because of some experience, either all of a sudden or through a process of time, you began to see yourself in a completely different light. You began to see yourself who you are and what you have done in a different light. It's like the lights come on and you saw reality in a different way, completely different way. I have more than once. Jesus saw Peter for who he was. We know that. And he had actually told Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. There was something that needed to happen to Peter. When thou art converted, except ye be converted and become as little children. That converting happened for Peter and him strengthening his brethren is him writing this letter. Jesus, Peter followed the Lord Jesus exactly to the T. Jesus sees you and me the way we really are. We, we tend, well, not we tend, we, we live in various shades of light or say various shades of darkness. We have various shades of reality of who we really are. Um, but if you are a Christian, you have had an original dawning of light. It's been a while, but as I remember it, it, I got, I was in a whole lot more light after I was born than I was before. <laughs> you agree with that, I would think. It was pretty dark inside the womb. Then there was a process, and it was quite quickly, depending which angle you're looking at. <laughs> um, the lights came on, so to speak, and you were in the light. And it was very different from then on. So when we're born again, the lights come on. But that isn't the end, is it? I'm now a Christian. I now have my ticket to heaven in my back pocket. I have arrived. No, you have not arrived. Well, yeah, you have arrived in one sense. You have arrived. Welcome. But you're only beginning. Only beginning, and that's what Peter is saying here. This is the beginning. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. The milk, the word, will enable you and will cause you to grow. 
as soon as the baby is born, its appetite is very different than it was before. Before, no milk. Afterwards, the desire and the importance of milk comes to the forefront. If you're a Christian, and specifically if you are a young Christian, you will want to obey God, and you will want yeah, your heart been changed, you love God, and you will want God's word so that you can grow. <clears throat> desire. God says, desire the sincere milk. And that desire is actually a very intense desire. I, I looked at some other places where it's used, but I didn't write it down. But I do know it's an, it's an intense craving. It's even one of the definitions is lust. <laughs> it's an intense craving for Something. <clears throat> now I haven't nursed babies, but I have fed a lot of calves in my day. I think some of you here can probably relate to that. Uh, I bottle fed them, and I remember how intensely they latched on to that bottle, and you see their tails swishing, their Eyes are bulging. And their, their whole body is in this thing. Now, I, be careful when, okay, I don't want to be charismatic here. But just the intensity is what I actually want to bring out here. Um, when that farmer boy finally came around to feed them, they were ready for food. They with gumption sucked on that bottle. Their appetite was healthy and they grew. And you fed them and said, no, well, now that's done. No, it isn't. Twelve hours later, same thing. <clears throat> Those calves wouldn't be satisfied long and they intensely craved milk on a regular basis. So, as newborn calves or babes intensely craved the word of God. So that you can grow. You got that? You can grow. This is not advanced theology. <laughs> this is basic Christianity. Crave the word of God. So that you may grow. I remember... where we talked about the uh, Bible translation just pretty briefly out in the meetings in Indiana this week. There was one brother there that, said, that was sort of negative, a little bit negative towards it. And he said, our problem is not understanding God's word. Our problem is obeying it. <laughs> and there is truth to that as well. Although I think we should understand it. But there's no, no, there's no problem understanding this. And it's so easy today. Back in Peter's day, no one, I think I can probably say it, no one had a Bible in their home. The Old Testament was in scrolls. I mean, we're talking about when this was written. He's saying, as newborn babe desire sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So he's talking in a context. No one had a Bible in their home. The Old Testament was in scrolls. The New Testament was in various letters. And then you have prophets going around and preaching the word of God. That's what they had. And they gathered together regularly to hear the preaching of the word. They memorized. I'm sure they did. They may have had fragments of letters and so on here and there. <clears throat> so there was effort needed back then if they were going to feed on God's word. On top of their difficult lives, many of the early Christians were poor. A number of them were slaves. Their lives were pretty complicated. They couldn't get in their car and go somewhere quickly. They didn't have phones and 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 the, the literature. Uh, their lives were complicated and busy. Just making a living was pretty well a struggle for most. 
Uh, Peter says, but be sure you feed on the word of God so that you can grow. It is your main source of nourishment. In the midst of all the other issues that you have, intensely desire the word of God. And that intensity is needed because there's a lot of other intense things calling out for the attention. There must be a primary in prime, primary intensity. If you let other things crowd it out, then you will not feed on the word of God and you will not grow. Do we need that intensity today? Because we had the word very readily here. Our lives, and especially I think I say our youth's lives, young people's lives, are not nearly as difficult as it was back then. It's not as treacherous. So what could possibly, what could possibly distract us from the word of God today? (laughs) Any ideas? If there's not an intense craving for the word of God today, other things, just like then, will fill up our time and our attention and our mind. Other activities. Because not only do we have the Bibles in our home, we do. We have the Bibles on our phones. Most of us do. We also have our phones. (laughs) And we also have um, books and magazines, and blogs, and articles, and sites, and videos, and tubes, and maybe even social media, depending where you you draw that line. We live in a day of information overload. We're no longer restricted by the centuries-old problem of production and distribution. That has been pretty well eliminated. That, I say a problem. I mean, it's just gone. The, um, the Wikipedia, which is about 20 years old now, is now, I understand, 90 times bigger than the uh, Britannica Encyclopedia was, which they no longer print. And it's updated hourly rather than annually. Some prophets back in the middle of the 20th century said that the television is going to take away God's devotion, uh, the devotional time away from God's people. The medium is going to steal the devotional time of God's people. Well, that volume and impact of media has increased since And we have taken some steps, especially for youth, to minimize this impact. But this is for all of us, myself included. How do we grow? By the milk, by the word of God. And since there's so much competition for other things that shout for our time, we need to intensely crave the word so that it takes priority in our lives. If God had a questionnaire and he would ask this question, do you earnestly desire the word of God? Do you have a tail-wagging, eye-bulging intensity For the word of God. To consume it. To study it. To memorize it. Again. And again. And again. And I say to obey it too. Obviously that's included. As newborn babes. Peter says. Desire the word of God. It will make you grow. Maybe for some of us, the lights need to come on in this area. (laughs) 
Just like it did for Peter. Didn't recognize where he was at until it happened. And then he saw himself. Maybe we need to recognize where we're at, where our desire of the word of God is. And maybe we need to have some lights come on in our own heart. Because the Lord Jesus sees us. He doesn't need to give us a questionnaire. He knows exactly what our hearts yearn after. He knows that nothing is hidden from him. Is the word of God at the top? Of course, you can say, well, God and, and, and other things, but you know what I mean. Now, there's one word that I didn't speak about in this verse. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. What does that mean? Maybe I can be the, the, the teacher, take the teacher um, format like was discussed. What does sincere milk of the word mean rather than just milk of the word? What, what, what does that word change, you think? Anybody have any, any comment on that? Four <laughs> percent. It's pure. Maybe some. Maybe you'd rather have some diluted Chinese milk. <laughs> hmm? Unadulterated. You 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 have my exact words that I have, so I could have just. I can be quiet now. No. <laughs> um. It's uh, sincere means authentic, unadulterated, and pure. See, when we began bottle feeding our calves, we would begin by using the cow's mother's milk, and then we would switch them over to what we call milk replacer. And the calves did not like it. And and generally, you made the switch by doing it in increments till they got adjusted to it. And since they were hungry, they they took it. But um, and and then you have that Chinese milk scandal of 2008, where they were putting water in milk, diluting it so you have more volume. But then then the milk would get tested, and you could find out. But so they put uh, a chemical that is used to make plastics called melamine into the milk, and it would trick whatever the testing method they use, it would trick it that the protein content would be up where it belongs. And it sickened and actually killed some babies, but sickened 300. They used that that milk then for baby formula. Imagine that. And 300,000 babies got sick over this kind of, this is a real scandal, and 60,000 ended up in the hospital. You want to be careful you do want to be careful what for milk of the word you consume. <clears throat> Feed on the word itself. Now, it is okay, and it's actually good, and it's actually recommended to use devotionals and to listen, to read articles. I mean, we can you can really be challenged and stirred. Uh, that's what you're doing now. You're not you're not li- you're listening to me. In a sense, I could be adulterating the word. Uh, it's, but you want to make sure it's connected to the word. You don't want to. I, I know there was a devotional book that went around our circles that was really questionable because the lady, that it's a woman's devotional book, and I forget the title right now. And it was written by a woman who claimed she got it directly from God. So maybe you know now which one it is. And someone that saw it said, the people who will read that will be, Evangelicals, even not evangelical, that's different. Evangelicals in one generation. Uh, question whether it's adulterated or not. But, um, oh, I know I'm missing something here. Yeah, here it is. There's a lot of adulterated milk around today. It's been diluted, and some of it's been poisoned. But 
like the Chinese, it's been glossed over with gripping stories and emotional testimonies. And it meets some kind of felt need in us. But while we're consuming it, we're getting adjusted to some kind of milk replacer. It's not the real thing. And we get some kind of nourishment, but it's been adulterated. So feed on the word itself. It's okay. Use properly, use, uh, properly critique devotionals and so on. But be careful. Because God says, earnestly desire the sincere, unadulterated, pure milk that you may grow on that level. Then the next verse here that we have, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This word, if, could also be understood as since. And I was looking at the question a little bit. Well, is it since, since you have, or is it if? <laughs> is it a fact or is it a question? Some say it's since because we shouldn't put doubt on a young believer if you are a believer, but actually the question is not whether or not you are a believer. The question in mind uh, is, have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Not that you are being converted, but have you actually had a certain thing here? So he asked, did you taste that the Lord is gracious? Have you, as a new or a young Christian, experienced the graciousness of God? Now, taste means to experience. Uh, if someone had never ate, eaten any honey, and uh, you can describe honey to them, well, it's, 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 it's um, a sticky substance. It's a semi-fluid. Um, it's sweet, tastes good, and you can give all the description you want of it. But when they taste it, then they experience it, and then they know it. And so the question is, have you not heard someone describe the graciousness of God? Have you experienced the graciousness of God, of the Lord? And then we ask the question, well, what is graciousness? What is it? When we talk about gracious, what is that? Well, we could have the next open question, but I won't. But what would, in your mind, in your mind, you think, have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? What comes to your mind when he's gracious? Don't turn here, but uh, you'll read the familiar verses in 11, uh, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Uh, I'll, I'll give you this challenge. I'm going to read it, these familiar verses. And you tell me, Rich, it's the same word as gracious that we just read here. If so be that you take that the Lord is gracious. There is one identical Greek word in this passage. Just, just see if you can pick it out. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Any guesses? Hmm? Nope. <laughs> They're very similar, aren't they? Easy. Easy at the Lord. It's a word. My yoke is easy. My yoke is gracious. Get the connection? Did you ever experience the easy yoke of the Lord Jesus? You entered into a yoke with him. When you committed your life to him, you were yoked together with him. And the Lord Christ did not shirk his duty. 
He didn't, also as you went with him, he didn't overdrive you. If you remember um, when Jacob was coming back and he met Esau and Esau was going to make, he didn't want to overdrive them in one day or overdrive cattle, they'll die. The Lord Jesus does not overdrive you. Um, he leads you. He stays with you. When we stumble, he waits or he picks you up. He assists us. You found out being yoked with him is easy. You have experience that the Lord is gracious. Have you experienced that? Galatians 5 describes, there's another, there's some other words that are used that are the same, exact same word. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of them is, one of the fruits is gentleness. Same word, as easy. Then you know this one, Ephesians 4.32, it will tell you what to do. Do you know that verse? Ephesians 4.32, it will tell you what to do. And be ye kind one to another. Kind is the same word. It's interesting when you study it. Paul says in Romans, he said, Don't you know it is the goodness of the Lord of God that leads you to repentance? And again, it's goodness is the word. So there we have it. Easy, kind, gentleness, goodness. So now we have an idea of what the graciousness of the Lord is. Did you, are you experiencing the graciousness of the Lord? If so be that you have tasted, experienced that the Lord is gracious. Maybe the Christian life is hard. It is hard against our flesh. But the Lord, though he is absolute in his position, he is not hard. He is kind and he's easy and he's gentle and he's good. The Lord Jesus will never abuse you and he will never drive you. And I... There's there's a Psalms, maybe... Yeah, we, we, we want to just had to do that. Psalms 103. Turn there. I found a psalm that just fits this point so, so well. It's that this psalm is not unfamiliar. Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And now we're going to talk about the benefits of the Lord. What does he do? Let's let's count on our fingers. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He hath made his way known to Moses, his acts are unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and I'm running out of fingers, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembered that we are dust. And I think we'll just stop reading there. The whole, the whole point of the psalm there is, the Lord is gracious. Have you experienced that? There is no excuse for not serving God. He is a good God. It, when we come to the, anyone come to judgment, uh, and, and 
and then sees this, it, it's, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. It's a very, very bad deal not to serve the Lord because of who he is. <clears throat> okay, so let's read here. So, if so be, so the Lord is gracious. If so be, you taste that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Peter now shifts the metaphor from babies and milk to stones in a temple. <laughs> and Jesus is pictured as the cornerstone, and we are pictured as stones that are used to build a spiritual house so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And a spiritual house is basically it means a temple, what it is. And we are, we, we're, we know what temples are. We're pretty much aware, have an idea. It's a holy, special building that's been used or is devoted for religious ceremonies or worship. The Jews had such a building. So do some other religions have such a building. Um, their first temple, so to speak, was actually called a tabernacle. Because it was a tent, but it was it took the place of a temple, though it didn't have stone. But then the first temple was built by Solomon. Three hundred and seventy years later, it was destroyed because of their unfaithfulness. Then, about seventy years later, it was rebuilt and rededicated by the governor Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, and then it was it went through various stages. But twenty A.D. no twenty B.C. Herod the Great expanded and uh, beautified the, that same temple. So, since Christian Christianity's roots go to Judaism, should we have temples too? Um. Should we have a building that's dedicated for sacrifice and praise and prayer and worship of our God? A physical building that this is where you worship God. The Jews had that. In fact, Jesus had that. <laughs> and the apostles had a temple. And since we think the early Christians have something special. Are we missing something by not building a temple? <laughs> just a thought. Just to get my thought in a little bit. Why don't we have a temple? If Jesus had a temple and the apostles had a temple, why don't we have a temple? Well, if you go to the woman at the well that Jesus met, after Jesus gain her confidence as some kind of a man of God, then she popped the question that she, I think she might have, some say what well, she actually really wanted to know, others say she was just throwing a diversion out, I'm not sure, but she did ask the question, uh, we Samaritans, we worship in this mountain, but you Jews say that in Jerusalem you have to worship, and Jesus then told her that the hour come where neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem ye shall worship the Father. He said, ye worship, ye don't know what you worship. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, which place, Jesus, is the right place to worship? Because they had, listen, they had right places to worship there. Jerusalem was the right place to worship. 
This is where Jesus, his majesty shines. Jesus, um, his, in Hebrews it says he changed the law. He changed the priesthood. He changed the covenant that the Jews had. When Jesus, as God, came down on earth, he changed a lot of things. He would not have had the authority to do that except as God himself. And he changed a lot of things, and he changed worship. The hour cometh, and now is, that worship does not take place in a special building or in special location. There is no Mecca for the Christian. This inspiring story of Daniel praying three times a day at his window towards Jerusalem, as inspiring as that story is, has no meaning for the Christian. Not in that way. Barnes says the old dispensation is about to pass away. The special rights of the Jews are to seize the worship of God. So long confined to a single place is soon to be celebrated everywhere and with as much acceptance in one place as another. He does not say that there won't be, there will be no worship of God. You can still worship God in Jerusalem, and you can worship God in that mountain, but you can worship God everywhere. So we don't have a temple today, do we? Or do we? <laughs> well, yes, we actually do. We, we individually, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and collectively, we are a temple. The stones, when they just, and, and, and he's using, and, and Peter is using stones of a temple as a, as a metaphor. And when they built that temple, the original temple, they didn't build it with bricks. They didn't build it with mortar. They cut the stones in a quarry somewhere off site. They, well, they first had a blueprint and they figured out what they need. Then they gave the orders to the quarry, and the quarry cut the stone to order. And then they shipped the stone, and each stone had a special spot in that building. There was no hammers. There was no chisel. There was no sound. The stone was properly fitted, properly designed to fit a certain spot. In the quarry, they were shaped according to the blueprint design, brought together, assembled together. There was only one spot for each stone. And we think prefab is a modern invention. (laughs) We, as living stones, are put together to form a spiritual house. That's what the scripture says here. That's actually we're here to build a temple. It's not a physical temple. And uh, Paul, that's what Paul meant when he had a disreproof for the wayward church there at Corinth. He said, know ye not that ye, plural, are the temple of God. You, as a church, are a temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are, temple plural ye are. In other words, each individually of us are lively stones, and if we are destroying that temple, God will destroy us. Significant there. Now, a pile of stones isn't worth much. How much shelter do you get from the elements with a pile of stones? But there are thousands of stone farmhouses in this area that have, that were at one point just a pile of stones. Then someone with a lot of vision 
and a lot of labor <laughs> took those stones and assembled them together and along with a roof and some windows and some other things built a structure that provided shelter and protection and home for five, six, seven generations. Don't underestimate the power of stones. <laughs> Properly constructed stones are very beneficial. We are living stones. And we're living because we were touched by the cornerstone, which is the ultimate living stone, and that caused us to have life as well. Now, when we are apart, when we're disconnected, we're just a pile of stones. And stones have to be put together or they are useless. We are useless on a pile. It's when we're assembled that we become practical and functional and useful. A building. And God did it. He actually designs us to fit together. <laughs> we don't all have the same gifts. I like when the gifting came up this morning and you had the gift of a teacher. Some of us are teachers. If everybody were a teacher... It wouldn't be very organized here. <laughs> and, and other things. In other words, believe it or not, I'm going to say it this, believe it or not, you need my gift. <laughs> and I need your gift. We need each other's gifts. It would be a tragedy if we all be shaped the same way. And the Lord says we were chosen. We were unique. We are unique. And we, each one of us are properly shaped to do our part. And so if you are properly shaped, a stone that's properly shaped and you have your giftings, don't desire for someone else's gift. Find out what your gift is. And put yourself in and improve your gift and give it the best that you have by the grace of God. Develop your gift by the grace of God. And do what you're good at. Let me help the church in this area that I can. Because we're not called to do everything but we're called to be faithful in what God has given us or has gifted us to do. And we're joined together with other believers, working together to be useful for God's kingdom. Ye are joined together, okay, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Here we have this holy priesthood and we have spiritual sacrifices. I'm going to hold off on that because in the next message we're going to get into the, the more the corporate area of that. And so um, rather than have one message to try to do everything, we'll let that to the next message. But we will talk about the priesthood and those sacrifices probably in the next message. <clears throat> Wherefore, it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him should not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now the cornerstone, and I don't know, I never actually finally determined what the cornerstone always is used for. Some, some, I have often used it as it's part of the foundation that you lay the cornerstone first and everything else lines up with it. 
Others say it's more like a capstone or a, a date stone or, you know, it's a prominent stone of the building that the stone, stone uh, the building wouldn't be properly fitted without it. And that's the Lord Jesus. If we get together at the church and the Lord Jesus is not our focus, he's not our goal, uh, he's, he's not worshipped and revered, we don't have the cornerstone, huh, forget the building, let's go out and play golf, you know, it's, or, or uh, disc golf. <laughs> it's, it's of no sense. The cornerstone is the main, the main stone. But, and actually that is a problem that, that Peter was facing here. And it was an issue that was never far from the forefront of his mind. The Jews' Messiah, in, in context here, he's talking about the stone that's rejected, the cornerstone that's rejected. The Jews have been waiting for their Messiah. The Messiah came, and the majority of them rejected the Jews. There is a story that I heard about uh, a Jewish story, actually. I don't know if this is a Messianic Jews or who this story, this story comes from, but I heard about it. Uh, they were about building the temple, the original temple. I think it's probably not true. <laughs> it's a story. They were building the temple, and the stones were coming from the quarry. And this stone came, this stone came that the builders didn't know. Well, what? We don't know what this is, so we don't have any use for that. So they down the hill, they roll it down the hill, clump, 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 down the hill it goes. And they keep on building this thing. Then they call to the choir, hey, we're ready for the cornerstone. And they say, hey, no, we sent that up a long time ago. Hmm, they went back to their records. Yeah, that stone there. <laughs> you know, we know what to do with that's down the hill there. Hmm, yeah, that's, that's the one. <laughs> and the whole idea is, is that the Jews rejected their Messiah. Someday, this is part of eschatology. <laughs> Someday, the Jews are going to recognize that they rejected the Messiah and come back to him. You take that as it is or not. Uh, but it's actually, there's a lot of types in the scripture that fit that. Uh, Moses was originally rejected by his people. When he wanted to come and save them, he said, who are you? And he went back for 40 years, and then he, when he came back, then he was accepted. David was driven around for 10 years before he was finally. And uh, another one, Jephthah, was that... Um, the one that was born of a prostitution, and uh, he was rejected until they had a use for him. So it's, there's 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 just patterns in scripture. <clears throat> so in this case, the Jews are waiting for their Messiah, but then the Messiah came, and now God is waiting for the Jews to accept their Messiah. <clears throat> So anyhow, so it talks about them, they're disobedient. He is still made the head of the corner. So a little bit of review here, then we'll close here. Review. Do this. Earnestly crave the sincere, unadulterated word of God. And protect that desire from rivals. Question. Have you tasted or experienced the graciousness of the Lord? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit in two senses, that we are individually and that we are corporately. We actually don't go to church because the church isn't there until we get there. If you're late, you can go to church. Otherwise, you can't. So if I ever hear anyone say, I, I go to church, and I say, okay, you're late, you ought to speed it up. Our calling is to align up to the cornerstone and find our place in this temple. Now, if you could, could we just kneel for prayer? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the unadulterated, pure word of God. Lord, you have given what we need. 
And Lord, it's also in your word that we also not just find out about your graciousness, but it's in your word that we can experience it, especially, Lord, as we walk with you and as we experience, as we struggle, as we walk out and take steps of faith when everything in us says that can't be right, and yet your word says, go this way. Lord, then we find that you are gracious. And I I pray, Lord, you help each one of us to experience that and to bring that graciousness and understanding and growth and all of that together to build your temple, a temple of worship, a temple, Lord, where we can fit and find our place and find our, our, um, well, they say, Lord, that we find value in the things that we do, but that is true, Lord, that we find a place of needfulness and a place of security. Lord, uh, by, by touching your cornerstone, you at the cornerstone, and also connecting with each other. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I just pray you bless us this week as we put your, go into your word and put it into practice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.